It was difficult to sleep at night, wishing good men dead. This was but one of the hurtful things I felt in my bones and wished I could ignore. It was an ugly truth waving its arms that I turned my gaze from, that I didn't like to admit even to myself. But while my bag warmed me with the last of its power, and my breath spilled out in white plumes toward the roof of our tent, while the flicker of the whisper stove melted snow for midnight tea, I lay in that dead zone above sixty thousand feet and hoped, not just for the failure of those above me, but that no man summit and lived to tell the tale. Not before I had my chance. It was a shameful admission, one I nearly raised with Hansen, my tentmate, to see in the wrinkles of his snow-beat face whether this was a guilt shared. I suspected it was. In the mess tents and around the yellow craters we dubbed latrines, the look among us was that only one would be remembered. The rest would die alone in the snow or live a long life forgotten, and not one of us would have been able to explain to a child the difference. Frozen to death by altitude or by time was all the same. The truth was this. History remembers the first and only the first. These are the creeping and eternal glaciers, the names etched across all time like scars and granite cliffs. Those who came after were the inch or two of snowdrift that would melt in due time. They would trickle, forgotten, into the pores of the earth, be swallowed and melt snow at the feet of other forgotten men. It was a quarter past Eno's midnight in time to get up. If Schubert and Humphreys were to make it to the top, they likely would have by now. If any of their gear still worked, they would be radioing in their victory, taking the first pictures of starlit peaks wrinkling far past the limits of sight. By now, they would know how many fingers and toes it cost them, how much oxygen left in their tanks, whether or not they would live to speak of the mountain's conquest. The faint odor of tea penetrated my dark thoughts. It must have been a potent brew to smell it at all. We had already scaled beyond the heights where taste and scent fade to oblivion. One had to remind himself to eat and drink, for the stomach is one of those organs that knows when to quit. It is the first, in fact, to go. The mind of the climbers is the last. Hansen brought me tea. I wormed a single arm out into the cold, though my heating bag had become a feeble thing. I did not want to lose what little it held. I coughed into my fist that persistent cough of the dead zone and accepted the steaming mug. There were no words spoken as we forced ourselves to drink. Every twitch was an effort at those altitudes. We were sleeping higher than all the fabled peaks of Cirrus Seven. Our fourth camp along the slopes and ridge, at 42,880 feet, was higher than any speck of dirt on Hansen's home planet. And when we arrived on this wasteland of a frozen ball, out here in a corner of the galaxy where men go either to not be found or to be remembered for all times, we set up a base camp very near to the highest peak of the place I grew up, Earth where men were first born and first began to scale to deadly heights.
I sipped my tea, burning my numb lips, and told myself it would be an earthborn who scaled Mount Mallory first. This was a distasteful idea that I and many others were willing to share. The secret I kept to myself was that others could die if they dared climb her before me.